Last week, I shared with you that the day of the Lord in the Old Testament actually refers to several different things. That in the book of Joel alone, it refers to the the plague of the locusts that had come. It refers to the invasion of the army from the north. It refers to the opportunity for God to come back. Uh, And we talked about how better understood than what many have taught that the day of the Lord is going to be the return in the future. That the day of the Lord in Scripture is really many different events and many different things that communicate to us some kind of decisive action of God to make sure that His plans come about to completion. And uh, so with that in mind, I want you to go back with me mentally. I want you to go with me to Pentecost. It's just 50 days after the Passover weekend in which Jesus was crucified, buried, and then resurrected. For 40 of those days... Jesus was there reappearing to the disciples. In 1 Corinthians 15, we're told that not only to the 12, but to others, and to a group as large as 500 at one time. Making appearances. Talking about the kingdom. And now, it's Pentecost. Ten days ago, Jesus ascended. And when He ascended, He reminded those who were there, all authority has been given to Me on heaven, in heaven, and on earth. We know from the book of Hebrews that He ascended to sit down at the right hand of God. The passage is about the coronation of a king. King Jesus. He is the king of the kingdom that is in existence. And I am sorry, but we pay far too little attention on the fact that we are to be living as citizens of a kingdom that's a kingdom of God. And we put so much emphasis on Jesus being the Savior. So that there are a lot of people that have accepted Jesus as their Savior, but have never made Him the Lord of their life. And I'm not sure that that works biblically. I don't think you can have Jesus as your Savior without Him being the Lord of your life. And I could give you many, many, many passages in confirmation of that. Fifty days... And now the apostles, completing what Jesus had told them to do, waited. And there in Acts 2, we're told that all of a sudden there was a sound like a mighty rushing wind. Here's the passage. 
the Spirit came. It said it, it was like, it doesn't say it was, it says it was like tongues of fire that was resting on them. And, and they began to speak to the people. Now, I have not been convinced in any way, shape, or form whether or not the miracle was happening with the disciples or the miracle was happening in the, hear, the ears of the listeners. Because Acts 2 says these men were speaking in other languages, but it also says the people were hearing in their own language. It really doesn't matter. The fact is that men who did not know a lot of different languages were proclaiming the message of God and people who did not know their Jewish, Hebrew, Aramaic language were hearing in their own languages the message of God. And so they started questioning what was going on. And they said, "Why, those guys are just drunk. Peter said, no. They're not drunk. First of all, it's 10 o'clock in the morning. Now that doesn't mean they couldn't have been drunk at 10 o'clock in the morning. I mean, unfortunately, I've come across people who were intoxicated at 10 o'clock in the morning. But that's not what he was saying as a proof. He was just saying, no, no, it's early in the morning and they had been filled with the Spirit of God. In fact, here's what he says, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose. Surely it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what the was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And your, young, and, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my Spirit. And they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes. And great and, magnif and magnificent day, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Acts 2, verses 1 to 4, and then 14 to 21. Now listen to me. Peter regards Joel's prophecy as applying to the last days. And Peter claims that his hearers are now living in the last days. Okay? Let's move on. Romans chapter 10, verses 10 to 13. 
For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the Scripture says, Everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same is Lord for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, Peter is quoting Joel. Paul is quoting Joel. I mean, Acts 2.17 is Joel 2.28. I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Romans 10.13 is Acts 2.21. It's Joel 2.32. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, by the way, Joel says, God, Yahweh, shall be saved. Peter has no problem equating God, Yahweh, with Jesus, Lord. So what's going on? See, this is why I've been stressing for the last few weeks this this pattern that we need to keep in our minds in terms of understanding God's Word. You can't just take a verse, pull it out of Scripture, out of context, and try to make some kind of teaching from it. You have to understand, first of all, what the text actually says, the actual text how the original hearers understood that, the original application of that text. And then you have to be a person who is aware and knowledgeable of what's going on in the current situation. I can't be a preacher to people living in this century, in this day and age, if I am not also reading the newspapers, the news reports, and understanding what's going on in our world. We have to take the text, what the text actually says, how the first hearers understood that text, what's going on in our world, and then we can make application. Otherwise, you come up with all kinds of crazy things. For instance... I'm going to go to a passage that is well-known, often quoted, and often misapplied. John 3.16 For God so loved the world. What it means is God loved the world in such a way. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. I think that's easy to understand that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. How many of you have heard somebody at some point say, well, right there is proof that you don't have to be baptized. All you got to do is believe. Okay? That's not the emphasis. The emphasis is upon that kind of belief that turns itself into action. Because the Scriptures also say, in parallel, that we have to believe, and those who don't believe, go to 1 John, those who don't believe are the ones who are not obeying. Obedience 
and head knowledge have to go together. It's not just what you believe in your head. Peter's message was that those people that day on Pentecost, 50 days after the crucifixion and resurrection weekend, the Passover weekend, what was happening that day on Pentecost was in fact a fulfillment of Joel chapter 2 verses uh, 21 to the end, the end of that chapter. And we'll see that. So let's go to our message today, which is the call, return to the Lord. And our text that we're going to read, our, our full text is 12 to 21, but we're going to read verses 12 to 14. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning, and rend your hearts, and not your garments, Return to the Lord your God, for He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. And He relents over disaster. Who knows whether He will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind Him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. May God add His blessing to the reading of His Word. Last week, the first part of Joel verse 1, chapter 1, verse 1, up to chapter 2, verse 11, was about judgment. God is bringing judgment through various ways. And I'm going to tell you right now, I am not going to say yay or nay. I don't have that kind of wisdom, and I don't think anybody does. But I will say it is possible that God uses natural events as a sign of judgment. And that could be going on now. Now I'm not saying this is that. That's not within my wisdom. But I'm saying we need to be open to that idea. We need to look at it. We need to say, could it be? Could it be that God is trying to say something to us as a nation? And I don't know where you are going thinking about what I might be referring to, but I'm thinking about abortion. I'm thinking about the judgment that might be coming upon our nation because we have allowed hundreds of thousands of little unborn babies to be murdered. But now we move beyond the idea of judgment. We move to the fact that even though there was devastation to the land brought on by the locusts that affected the economy, that affected their joy, that affected their ability to worship by means of their inability to have the grain offerings, yet... For all that was coming to the people, Joel counseled them to react not with despair, but with faith. It is in fact faith over fear. And notice in that first verse that I read, let's go back there. 
That first verse that I read said, Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and with weeping and with mourning, and, and rend your hearts and not your garments. This is a call to repent. And even at the beginning when he says, yet even now, it's an admission that as far as things had gone, as bad as things were, with all that they were doing to worship idols, and I'm not just talking about little golden images or wood images, I'm talking about worshiping anything, giving anything the place that only God should have. Which might mean my 401. My retirement. You see, my trust shouldn't be on my retirement accounts. If it is, they're probably going to go bad and I'm going to have to learn to walk without them. That's idolatry. My trust has to be on the Lord God that He will provide, He will care for. And even in that situation, as bad as it has gotten, Joel says to those people, Yet even now, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Is he saying just believe? No. That's nowhere in the Bible. Well, it is. It's in James. It says the devil, the demons believe that there's one God and they shudder with fear. They know who God is. The Gospel of Mark, it was the demons who correctly identified Jesus every time. They know in their head who He is. That does not save them. And it breaks my heart to know that I have family members who know who Jesus is and who know who God is, but they're not worshiping Him. And as far as I know from what the Scriptures say, I will not be spending eternity with them, regardless of what they have between their ears. Because they're not living it with their lives. On your heart. With fasting with weeping and mourning, rending your hearts and not your garments. Now, let me share a little bit with you about that idea of rending your garments. You understand, don't you, that that was an act of showing that we were, that people were very upset and very sorry about something happening? Genesis 37-29 When Reuben returned to that pit where they had thrown Joseph with the idea that he was going to rescue him without his brothers being aware of it, and his brother wasn't in the pit, he was gone, Joseph was gone, it says that he tore his garments. He was sad. But that's not where it stops for us. Esther chapter 4, verse 1. Good old Uncle Mordecai. It's too bad more of, more of us don't have an Uncle Mordecai. And when Mordecai learned what was in fact going to happen to the Jews, how they were going to be annihilated, it says that he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes. He ripped his good clothes off and put on potato sacks. 
itchy, itchy. What is the belief that you and I are called to? What is the repentance that you and I are called to? It's not an outward show by rending our garments or anything else. It's inward contrition. Rending our hearts. That's far more important than an outward show of grief. We need the broken, contrite heart. That's what Psalm 51.17 says. We need the circumcised heart. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 16, and Jeremiah 4 4. Our repentance has to be something that doesn't just involve a change of our thinking and earthly sorrow. Let me give you one more example. Judas. When he found out that Jesus wasn't rising up to be the military conqueror, the Messiah, he had betrayed him. He went to give back the money and say he had made a mistake and they wouldn't take the money and he threw it in on the floor. It said he was very grieved, sorrowful. But did that lead to repentance? No. It led to him going out and hanging himself. Peter, on the other hand, was just as grief-stricken when he betrayed, denied the Lord three times. But he was willing to say three times, Lord, you know that I love you. And instead of hanging himself, was in fact hung upside down as his Lord had been crucified. You see, the call to repent is a call to not just change your way of thinking, but to change your lifestyle. And that's tough. J.C. Penney became a Christian. Years after he had become a Christian, He was speaking to a group of men and with tears running down his face, he said, I am grieved by the fact that even though I have given my life to the Lord Jesus Christ and I have done everything that I have been able to do to to serve Him, I still haven't gotten control of my tongue. And boy, is that not a common problem. Jim McCown used to be down at Lafayette at a church preaching there years back. Uh, Before that, he was on the edge of Indianapolis, went out to California, came back to Lafayette. Big guy, like Eric, 6'4", 6'5", something like that. He was holding an evangelistic meeting one time at the church where he was at on the edge of Indianapolis. And uh, evangelist was just doing an absolutely great job. But the evangelist was one of those who was a flamboyant dresser. I mean, his tie and his scarf matched. And one of the little ladies of the church, going out one evening, the minister said, Jim said to this lady, how'd you enjoy the message tonight? And she said, well, I'd have enjoyed it a lot more if he hadn't had that flashy tie on. And Jim said, really? Really? 
This church was one of those set up where the offices were on each side of the entering door. His door was office was behind him. He pushed the door open, walked in, came back out, handed her a pair of scissors and said, then cut the man's tie off if you don't like it, if it offends you. And she did. She reached up, pulled his tie out and cut it off. And Jim McCowan told my dad, he said, C.A., I thought I was going to get fired. He said, because I just couldn't hold back. I took those scissors from the lady and he said, I told her, now stick your tongue out, would you? Because it's as offensive as anything around this church. And she went huffing and puffing out the door. Didn't come back for several weeks. As I recall the story, about two and a half to three months later, she came back in. But a totally changed person. Because when she started calling her friends, trying to get her friends to support her, her friends wouldn't support her. They said, no, your tongue, you have been that way. And probably he didn't do it right, but you needed to be told that your tongue is evil. And it changed her. And she started calling people and apologizing. And some of those people started returning that had left because of her tongue. Now I'm not saying we need to go around with scissors telling people to stick their tongues out. But what I am saying is, is if we claim to be people who are citizens of Jesus' kingdom, we need to be living like citizens and we need to be making sure that the change is a sufficient change including all of our behavior. Secondly, though, after this call to repent, Joel goes on with a proclamation of forgiveness. And there's included in it a bit of judgment. In the climax to this section of verses from 19 to 27, and actually preparation for the next section, verse 28, he says this, You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, and that I am the Lord your God. And there's none else. And my people shall never again be put to shame. What's he saying? He's saying that if you really do look around and see what's going on and pay attention, you'll know that even though things are bad, I am right here in your midst. I haven't left you. He didn't leave them during the exile. Though they felt that God was not there. Now you see, God's call on us is to recognize His presence in our midst, in the midst of. No matter what's going on, whatever is happening, we need to understand, we need to know that God is with us. I've been in some pretty tough situations. Situations where I've had to try to comfort a young couple who desperately wanted a child. Who had been through a couple of miscarriages. And finally that baby is born. 
And when I got the call, it was a call to go to the hospital because that little baby, a toddler, not even a toddler yet, had died of SIDS, sudden infant death syndrome. What do you say? Most of the time, the best thing we can do is like Job's friends did before they got themselves in trouble. And that's just go there and sit in silence for seven days and seven nights. Just be there. Keep our mouths shut. Because a lot of times, what we say is more detrimental. How in the world can it be encouraging to a young couple who's just lost a baby, who's been trying desperately, to hear somebody say, well, God must have needed another angel. How heretical to think that that's the kind of God that we serve. Now, we need to be helping people to understand that God is with us in the midst of pain. And that if we are, in fact, His people, we will never again be put to shame. No matter what happens. No matter how bad things get. We're going through Acts right now on Wednesday nights. Two years he got left in prison. And yet, he's preaching God's message. Keeping a positive attitude. You see, it's a reminder of Paul in Romans 8. If God is on our side, who can be against us? Now, in the midst of devastation, Joel reminds us that God is willing and He desires to forgive us. He doesn't want us to be put to shame. Which brings us to the final reminder of this section of Scriptures. We are able to experience God's grace. Because according to God's Word, the Spirit has been poured out on all people. In Galatians 3, Paul would say, it doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile. It doesn't matter if you're a slave or free. It doesn't matter if you're male and female. None of that matters in the kingdom of God. We are one in Christ Jesus. And we receive the gift of the Spirit. And the gift of the Spirit is a direct experience with God. God's Spirit is dwelling within me. It's not a little devil sitting on one shoulder and a little angel sitting on the other shoulder. God's Spirit is within me battling the devil that's on the outside. That's why starting with verse 27, Joel says, And it shall come to pass. It shall come to pass. What's going to come to pass? That I'll pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Isn't that what Peter quoted? Exactly. Verbatim. And you know what? In the Hebrew Bible, verses 27 down to verse 32 is chapter 3 of Joel in the Hebrew Bible. In the Hebrew Bible, Joel has four chapters. Because remember, the chapters and the verses, that's man's thing that they put in hundreds and hundreds of years later. 1600s, 1200s. In the Hebrew Bible, 
what Peter quoted was the entire third chapter of Joel. A passage that reminds us that God is dwelling within us, helping us. Now, here's where that leaves us, though. According to my Bible, there's going to be a judgment day. And that judgment day is going to be a day in which the goat and the sheep, the goats and the sheep are divided. And the one group is going to be told, depart from me into everlasting punishment. And guess what? Some of those goats who are going to be told, you're not a part of the group, saved group, are going to say, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Didn't we prophesy in your name? I mean, weren't we good churchgoers on Sunday mornings? And he's going to say, depart from me because you didn't really know me. And there are voices that are bombarding us on a daily basis. Voices of evil. There are a lot of those right now bombarding us. And they're not just bombarding you saying, hey, say Jesus isn't the Son of God. No. It's that one degree principle. They don't have to get you to say Jesus isn't the Son of God. They just got to get you one degree off where all you have to do is say, well, I think the Bible says all you got to do is believe. You don't have to be baptized. You don't have to to go into all that discipleship. You just got to believe and it's okay. That's one degree off. And what that means is if you're going from here to California, you're not going to hit Los Angeles. You're going to probably maybe even hit the state of Washington if you're not in in Canada. Just one degree off. John in 1 John says over and over again, how can Jesus, how can God, how can they know that we love them if we love one another, our call to worship, and if we obey the commandments. Obey the commandments. So where are you at in terms of hearing the call to return and making that change of life? Let's pray. Father God, we come before you today. And even this book that was written thousands of years ago, there are words that are relevant to us today. If we'll just pause to study the text to see what it really says, if we'll take the time to understand how the original hearers heard the message, as we'll look around us to our situation in the world in which we're living, and then make application. There are words that should be speaking to us. Help us to make that commitment. To hear those words and to make the commitment that we are called to make. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.